I got to get me. I got to find me some cool little illustrations and props. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe. All right. Well, the children have left, and they've left their little decorations. Well, they took it with them. So we're going to open our Bibles today, if you have it with you, to Second Samuel chapter twenty-three. Second Samuel chapter twenty-three. We're going to narrow in in that chapter on verses thirteen. Through 17. Again, it's 2 Samuel chapter 23 and verses 13 through 17. I'm sure you see it behind me as well for our message time this morning. But as you're finding that, I'll give you a couple minutes to do so. I'm going to have a little introduction question and tell you of a story that occurred to me many years ago. Because the question really is this Have you ever been so thirsty that you would drink just about anything? That's happened to me, and maybe it's happened to you, but the story is, it happened to me many different years ago. I was living in Texas. A group of guys and I went to the Texas Panhandle, which means you leave the east side where we were, and you travel about 12 hours west, and you're still in Texas. It's just that big, to the Texas Panhandle, and we went on a turkey hunt. That particular spring during the turkey hunt, it was extremely dry. It was very hot. It gets sometimes really hot in Indiana. It was very dry, humid, and hot in Texas that spring, early in the year. And so as we went on our trip, we went turkey hunting, which means that when I go turkey hunting, I have a lot of gear with me, and of course I have my shotgun. I got little sorted calls. I mean, the calls are hand calls. I wish I brought stuff in, but I make these, these yelps and these clucks that hens make, and it's the sound that hens make to attract the male, the gobbler. The hen's the female and is trying to attract the male gobbler to come to them. Normally, the male is like a stubborn male that we are. We won't go to the woman because the woman to come to us. But during the mating season of spring, the male forgets all about that. And when the hen makes that sound, they just naturally go and gravitate towards the hen. So I'm trying to find a spot where I can set up and I can make these sounds and the turkey, the, the gobbler, which I'm after, can come towards what he thinks is the hen. And I'm waiting for him right there with the shotgun, right? That's the plan. But it was so hot. It was so dry. And we, you know, turkey hunting, you don't sit there all day like it does if I deer hunt. I get up and I move about trying to find these turkeys. So I'm getting up, moving around, not having any kind of luck at all. And it's hot. I'm getting tired. I'm getting thirsty, but I still want to continue to hunt, so I go further, I walk, I'm getting hotter, I'm getting more tired, I'm getting a lot more thirsty, and it just keeps happening, and I realize I have no water with me. I usually carry a, a, a bottle of water with me in case that does happen where I can quench my thirst, but I have nothing at all to drink, and I'm getting hot. Did I mention I'm getting hot? That means I'm getting thirsty because I am parched. I'm like desperate for water, desperate for something to drink. And I think I'm not going to get anything to drink. Along comes a buddy of mine driving up the dirt road and walking on it. He's driving up, and as he gets closer to me, I said, Randall, do you, you have anything at all in your possession that would give? I, I'm thirsty. I mean, I have to have something to drink. His reply. I have a diet root beer. Okay, I told Paige and Grace and, and uh, I think, who was else? 
Isaac and Levi and Jackson. I told them earlier in our class time, I cannot stand root beer. You know the drink I like, which is what? Thanks for playing. Diet Mountain Dew. He had no Diet Mountain Dew. What does he have? Diet root beer. I cannot stand root beer. But if I'm going to drink one, like I told them, it better be the real root beer, not the diet root beer. But I'm so incredibly thirsty. I said, give it to me, man. Just give me whatever you got. And I began to drink that diet root beer. And I'm going to tell you this. It was the best and the worst drink I've ever had in my life. That's just how good it was, but also how bad it was. But I was really thirsty. And I longed for any kind of drink. We were thinking, what does that have to do to anything of Second Samuel? Which so happens to be that today we look at King David. And he is longing for a drink. He desires to have his thirst quenched. We'll understand more of that as we read the story, so let us do so. Stand with me this morning as we look into 2 Samuel chapter 23. And we're going to leap down in the chapter, as I mentioned earlier, to verse 13, and then read through verse 17. Now, a long reading, but an interesting story pertaining to David's thirst, and here's what we find. Verse 13 of the second, 23rd chapter, 2 Samuel. And 3. As the thirty chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam, when a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephael. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, verse 15, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. But then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried it and brought it to David. But he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. Father. Lord, we thank you for the reading of your word today. And we ask, Lord, as we go through the text then and begin to have some clarity, begin to maybe have some understanding, we pray, Lord, to make sense of this text and see how it applies to our modern lives. So with that, then, we just allow your spirit to lead and guide and direct us here this morning. And let's be thankful for what we shall receive today and see how it applies to our lives. Again, we ask, Lord, the spirit would lead. Let this time be yours. Anoint this time, Lord, we're together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we go back to the text and begin to dissect and apply, let me first mention to you a little bit of a side note. That this story, as we have read it in the five, six verses that we have here in 2 Samuel 23, is retold again in 1 Chronicles chapter 11, verses 15 through 19. In fact, the story is so incredibly similar in First Chronicles, that some scholars, some expositors, dared to suggest that it was simply a copy and paste. Whatever the case may be, and nevertheless, it's a wonderful story that illustrates bravery and courage and complete devotion. Let us go back to the text now and begin to dissect and see what the story tells us that we can quickly recap. First note this then, that the text that we read, a small portion of it, 
verses 13 through 17 is actually part of a larger portion that we have not chosen to read. Yeah, it's 2 Samuel 23 in its entirety, but the story that pertains to David's three mighty men actually begins in verse 8 of this chapter, and it runs through the end of the chapter, verse 39. So there's 31 verses dedicated to David's mighty men. But we, as we look at the text, have narrowed all the focus upon the actions of only three, three mighty men, three, if you will, brave and courageous, unnamed men that ultimately demonstrate their loyalty, their love, complete, total, whole devotion to their king, which is David. Now, as we return to the text, let us note something else. Because in verse 13, where we began, notice that it's not just three men in the account. It, the verses from 8 through verse 39, 31 verses, we focus in, yes, upon only three. But if you look at verse 13, it tells us there's not just three men surrounding David, but rather 30. It says in the beginning of verse 13, three of the 30 chief men. So 30 men all around David. Yeah, we're looking at the actions of three. But note how 30 men are all around him at this particular moment in time. So the question now really becomes, as we think about the text and apply and dissect, is this. What makes these three mighty men more special than the other 27? What did they do that is so noteworthy where we narrow focus only upon them? And the really short answer is this, that these three men daringly crossed enemy lines, which is the Philistines, they're the enemy, to get David, their king, the very special water, the drink that he requested from a particular well that is at Bethlehem. Now, that is the short answer of why we're studying these three men. But let us dig deeper into the actions of these three men. And let us start by observing this. I mentioned how their names are not given. At least they're not given in verses 13 through 17. But curiosity, curious minds want to know, as we narrow our focus upon three men, who are these guys? Who are these three brave, courageous, devoted men? And again, in verses 13 through 17, their names are not given. Now, we'll come back to that. But notice in verses 8 through 12 that there are some names suggested. Some scholars propose that the men in verses 13 through 17 have the same or the same men as in verses 8 through 12. So notice their names. It could be them. It may not. But look, in verse 8, we see the first is Josh. What about that, Josh? Joshua Beshebeth. That's the rest of your name. Yeah, Joshua Beshebeth. It said in verse 9, that was, uh, that, or verse 8, that he wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. That makes him pretty mighty, I guess. Next to him in verse 9, among the three mighty men was Eliezer, who in verse 10 said he rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clung to the sword. So we got Josh, you got Eliezer. And next to him in verse 11 was Shema. It says in verse 12 that he took his stand in the midst of the plot, defended it, and struck down the Philistines. So now we have three men mentioned in verses 8 through 12, which might possibly be the same three mighty men 
in verses 13 through 17, but that's highly presumptive because it does not precisely tell us of the three men in verses 13 through 17. Now, one could logically assume that the verses read together, and that might be the case. But yet other scholars would say, no, it's not the same men. This is an entirely group of three that's different than those three that was mentioned earlier. And they would suggest then, rather interestingly, that it happens to be Joab and his three bro- and his two brothers. Now you're thinking, well, who is Joab and why would possibly he be mentioned? Well, Joab was the nephew of King David and, by the way, happened to be the commander of David's army. So, yeah, maybe it would be Joab and his brothers, maybe be Josh, Eliezer, and Shema. But then again, the names are not given in verses 13 through 17. Three brave, courageous, devoted, mighty men who we'd like to know their names, but it doesn't tell us precisely who they are. The text doesn't reveal their names. So we gather from that it's not highly important that we know their names of each of these men. But what is important, what the story emphasizes then, is their actions. What are their actions? We'll go back to the text and say again once more. We've already stated it, but notice how the three men in verse 16 break through the battle line of the Philistines in order to get David a drink he requested in verse 15 from the well of Bethlehem. They risk their lives to fulfill what seems to be a rather simple wish, a rather simple request from their king. They risk their lives, and so there's an act of courage and bravery and devotion. They risk their lives for their king going behind enemy lines to get him a drink of water that he longed for. It's an act of bravery, courage, and devotion. Now think about their actions for a moment. I mean, how many people would dare risk their life for someone? I mean, maybe we could say, yeah, I'd be willing to risk my life for my spouse or my children or a very, very special friend. But then again, think about how many people would not risk their life for anyone. Because we need to recognize that maybe that is more often the case than we may think. Because we live in a very selfish time in society where people all about themselves, what they can gain, is all about them, all about me. A very selfish time we're living in. So maybe people would not be willing to risk their lives for someone as much as we may think that they might. But it still begs the question that when we think of devotion, when we think of an act of bravery, that what individuals, what groups or images come to your mind? Now, if you're like me, when I hear that question, I immediately think of warriors like David's men here. Yeah, they fulfill that role. And and people like them, soldiers, who died for our freedom. Or maybe even current servicemen and women still fighting for our freedom today. Especially perhaps those who won the Congressional Medal of Honor. That was certainly courage and bravery and perhaps devotion. 
Or maybe my mind starts gravitating to people like firefighters and police and first responders. And it's completely true. They certainly risk their lives, especially at certain times, for others, which acts results in an act of courage and bravery. But then again, let us also take time and recognize the courage and the bravery is shown by caregivers for their loved ones. One of the amazing things that seemed to emerge from all the pandemic that started way back a year ago, even further into March of 2020, was all the nurses who would risk their lives during the pandemic for the well-being of others. I mean, you probably have heard as many stories as I have about nurses that would constantly work through the entire crisis, willing to sacrifice their own health to help other people, for people who were infected with the disease of COVID-19. There's many different examples to choose from throughout the country, throughout the world. I found one, though, online from Indy Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, where 140 nurses, during the height of the pandemic, 140 nurses volunteered, willingly volunteered, to join a special team that provided care for positive, COVID-19 cancer patients. Cancer patients who have the disease, the coronavirus. They willingly volunteered to take care of these patients, which means they willingly took the risk of becoming infected themselves. And there's amazing stories like that throughout this country. We even have nurses here in our congregation, in our church, that worked through all the pandemic, taking that risk upon each day to take care for other people. Let us not forget that act of courage and bravery that they exercised. So the point we're making here really is this, that bravery and devotion can take many forms. And as much as we appreciate their courage, it is not only at the domain of the soldiers. There's other people who also act brave and courageous that sometimes we may not think about that were willing to risk their lives for other people. But then we can roll all that up and have an application, which is this. That one measure of devotion is the commitment we demonstrate and what we're prepared to do for the one or the cause to which we're devoted. Let me say that again. That one measure of devotion is the commitment we demonstrate and what we're prepared to do for the one, and notice how the one is capitalized, and the cause to which we should be devoted. Notice how the one, the one in which we should be committed to completely, of course, is Jesus. The one we prepare to do anything for, totally committed, should be Jesus. And the cause, of course, should be the gospel. We should be completely committed to Jesus and to the gospel. That's what we should be devoted to. So the question really becomes this then. Are we devoted to the cause and to the one who gave his life for you and me? Are we completely sold out, 100%, completely, totally, wholly devoted to Jesus and to the cause of spreading the gospel? I mean, if not, then shouldn't we be? Of course, the answer is yes, we should be. 
But the question really then as we consider further the things to apply is how far then are we willing to go for Jesus? How far are we willing to go to show our devotion to him? How devoted are you to him? The answer should be as far as he needs me to be. That's how far I'll go for him because he took it for me. We should have a completely, totally, wholly devoted to Jesus and to the cause. Perhaps you've heard the story before of Jim Elliott and his missionary efforts he made to the Wadani tribe in Ecuador back in the late or mid-1950s. If you heard the story, you know that Jim Elliott then upon the landing in Ecuador was almost immediately attacked and martyred along with four others with him simply for hearing the call of God to go and to witness to the tribe. He lost his life in the effort. Nearly immediately upon land, making land. But amazingly, though, years later, his wife Elizabeth returned and actually witnessed to the tribe. So you may have heard that story before Jim Elliott and his wife Elizabeth, sometimes told in certain circles. But have you heard the story of John and Betty Stamp? John and Betty moved to China during the Chinese Civil War. Shortly after arriving and beginning their work as missionaries, the couple, John and Betty, with their three-month-old daughter, Helen, were captured by communist soldiers. Subsequently, then, as they're captured, they were marched through the streets to be publicly executed. But while walking to their death, a Chinese shopkeeper pleaded with the captives to release them, to release John and Betty, and, and at least Helen, a three-month-old baby. The shopkeeper's efforts led the soldiers into his home, where the people, the soldiers, found a Bible and proof that he, too, was a Christian. So that particular day, he then, along with John and Betty, and three-month-old Helen were beheaded. You know, we hear or we read about stories like that, and, and it can make us angry. I mean, it can make us sad, certainly. But it can also make us angry that's what happened to these innocent people, particularly a baby. But what it should do really is motivate us. It should motivate us to be just as brave, just as courageous, and just devoted to Jesus. Again, the question we're entertaining here at the moment is, are we devoted to the cause, to the one who gave his life for you and for me? And just how far are you willing to go for Jesus? How devoted are you to him? Because as the title of today's message suggests, we must be wholly, totally, completely devoted to our king, none other than Jesus. Like the actions of these three men in the story today for their king. We go back to the text. I mean, hopefully you can discern that David's, again, unnamed men in verses 13 through 17 were utterly devoted to him. I mean, David made what seemed like a simple little request in verse 15 for drink, to quench his thirst. 
And it just so happened to be that that drink that he wanted from a particular well located in Bethlehem it was behind the enemy Philistines' lines. So the loyal, brave men get the water from Bethlehem at the risk to themselves. I mean, they easily could have been captured and killed. But they're willing to take the risk. Why? I mean, we've got to ask the question, why would these three men take such a risk? And the answer is because David's men loved him enough to risk their lives to serve him and to give him something he wanted. Their devotion to their leader, to their king, exceeded any fear that they might have had going behind enemy lines with those Philistines. Their devotion exceeded any fear they had of the risk of their lives. Which then brings up another application point. That what a difference it can make when we let our actions be shaped and determined by courage and devotion rather than fear. Let's say it again. What a difference it can make in our lives as we lived them. When we let our actions be shaped by courage and by devotion rather than fear. I found a quote from Pastor Doug Scalise, who happens to be at Brewster Baptist Church. He said, fear holds us back and prevents us from trying new things, from taking risks. It whispers, fear does, in our ear that if we try something and fail, that we're a failure and we'll be embarrassed. Whereas courage and devotion inspires us to be free to take risks and understand the only way we'll ever go through life and never fail is if we never try anything and never really engage with life. There's certain risks worth taking. And I suggest to you any risk we have for our king, for Jesus, will be worth it. We must live without fear we must be completely wholly devoted to Jesus to the one who gave his life and to the cause that's what we can learn from these these verses pertaining to these three mighty men that got David his drink and was loyal loving and devoted to him but there's more to the story I mean, true enough, we've known on many different occasions, the passage certainly tells us of David's three mighty men who threw, went through the battle lines behind that other Philistines to get him his drink. They overcome the fear, they risked their lives in order to get David a drink from the well at Bethlehem. But return to the text once more, because upon returning behind the enemy lines, breaking through, getting the water, Notice the actions of David. Verse 16 and 17, let's read it again. Again, the three mighty men, we talked about this, broke through the camp of the Philistines. They drew water out of the well, however they did that. Bethlehem by the gate. And then look, they carried it and brought it to David. That's what he said he wanted. But he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord. He said, far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. 
And these three things, these things the mighty men did. But amazing, look, amazingly, as we see the story evolve, amazingly, though David requested and longed for the water, he does not drink it. And he says he does not drink it because of the danger that men expose themselves in order to get it for him. So he poured the water out. Yeah, it says he poured the water out. He poured it out to the Lord. Now, let this sink in for a moment. Let's just kind of paraphrase again to get caught up on what things are happening here. In case somehow, some way we miss something. The king, David, desires a drink from a special well behind enemy lines. Three men rise to the occasion and get the water. And David pours it out. I mean, speculative to ask the question, but I'm asking it nonetheless. What do you think the reaction would be among these three men? When they see David pour out the water, what do you think the reaction would be? I mean, do you think it would be disbelief, shock, maybe anger? I mean, they risked their lives for this water and gave it to their king, who appeared at the time that he just wasted it for nothing. Put yourself, maybe you are among the three. You're there. You go behind the enemy lines. You bring it to your king. You say, David, here it is, buddy. This is the water you wanted. I got it for you. Me and my buddies here, we got it for you. You hand him the glass of water, and he simply pours it out. What would your reaction be? You just risk your life for him, and he pours it out. We've got to ask ourselves, if we've been there, how will we react? Let's consider all this and ask ourselves this too then. That when our king, Jesus, asked me to do something, how do we react? See, there's multiple things happening here. I mean, yeah, he poured out the water, but let's go back for just a moment because, remember, he made this simple request. He didn't ask the men to go get the water. He just simply made a request, and they heard it and thought, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm loyalty, I'm loving, I'm true, I'm devoted, wholly, totally completed to the king. I'm going to go get it. So the question really also becomes, before we answer the question about what we react can be, to say, first of all, when the king asks you to do something, when King Jesus asks us to do something, how do we react? Is it instantaneous? Is it immediate, almost like it was for these three men? Or do we sit back when the king asks us to do something? I mean, not verbally do we hear the request, but we get a sense through the Spirit that God has asked us to do something. So when we get that sense that we've been asked to do something, do we sit back and think, no way, I'm not doing that, God. I mean, I'll do certain things for you, but that i got to draw the line somewhere. I mean, do we react when the king asks us to do something in shock and disbelief or maybe even in anger? Because now go back to the question we ask about the reaction of these three men. When they see David poured out, are they reacting in the same way we do when God even asks us to do something in the first place? Shock, disbelief, and anger? 
As we consider that question, we got to consider another. Like the question, what is our reaction then when we do respond to the certain request from God? And things didn't go like we hoped it would. Like maybe it's precisely the situation for these three men. They responded, risked their lives. But maybe it didn't go like they thought because surely they thought David would take a drink. So what is our reaction when we respond to God and say, yes, God, but things didn't go like we hoped it would? I mean, what if God asked you to pray for a sick person and they simply don't get any better? What is your reaction to that? Or what if God asked you to give money to someone and they simply squander it for something else? What if God asks you to forgive someone who doesn't really appreciate it? What if God asks you to open up your home to someone only to have them to steal from you as you open their home to them and to take advantage of you? What if God asks you to open your heart to someone only have them to hurt you? Is these things that God asks us to do that maybe it didn't ultimately work out like we had hoped? Was it all a waste? Was it all for nothing? Is that possibly what these men are thinking? That I got David, this drink he requested, he poured it out. Was it a waste? Was it all for nothing? Anything that we hear God tell us to do and we do it and it didn't work out like we hoped? That prayer for that sick person, they died anyway, was it all for nothing? Was it a waste? The answer is no, absolutely not. Because it is never a waste of time when God asks you to do something and then you do it. Because we don't understand all the ways of God. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. See, we don't always understand the big picture. We may not understand it, but God has a reason and purpose for everything that happens. Our task simply was say yes and be obedient. We may not understand it, but for God, he knows. I mean, why would simply our response be yes and be obedient? I mean, I can think of one reason. Simply because I love him. Simply because he's beautiful and wonderful and deserving of the obedience. Simply because Jesus is my king. Shouldn't we feel this way about our king? The way that these three men have felt love? Shouldn't we feel the same way for our king, our commander, Jesus Christ, that these three men had for their king, David? I mean, think about it. Shouldn't we want to be the one who leaps to the answer, the most simple request from God, or the one who seems seemingly impossible? We should say, yes, Lord, here I am, send me. Isaiah 6, verse 8. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Whom shall go for us? Then I said, Isaiah, here I am, send me. That should be our response.
Anytime we hear God calling to us, for our king, we should say, here I am, Lord, send me. No matter how insurmountable or how ridiculous it may seem, even if it happens to be a dream from a particular well behind enemy lines, our response should be, yes, Lord, here I am, send me. So I got thinking about that for all of us then. I thought, well, as we live our lives, we should want to be the one, the people, the church that would do anything, go anywhere, do anything, give anything for God for the sake of bringing him pleasure and responding to any desire of his heart, whatever it may be. I, and I want all of us, our church together to respond to his request without hesitation no matter the time it may take, the cost it may be, with, with, with all of our energy, no matter if it's to break our bank account or even our lives or even our reputation, it's all worth the risk. As individuals, as a church body together, it's all worth the risk. Because it's, a, it's an illustration of our measure of loyalty, love, and devotion. We should be completely, totally, wholly committed, sold out to Jesus. But you know it's a wonderful story, but there's one nagging question we really maybe haven't fully answered yet. Again, the question is, why did David pour out the water? I mean, the verses tell us he did so for the Lord, but the answer to the question really why David poured out the water is that David poured out the water as an offering to God because he was so moved by the sacrifice it represented. I mean, hear me, it was not an act of ingratitude on David's part. Our first response may be, well, he was just not gracious for the fact that these men went and did this, but it was not an act of ingratitude. David recognized how it represented life. And he poured it out to God. David would not drink this water that represented the lives of his soldiers. And instead, he just simply offered it to God. Which means that ultimately, when David poured out the water, it demonstrated that he was as devoted to his men as they were to him. He was as devoted to his men as they were to him. Now, isn't that Jesus? It is. That's Jesus. I mean, because Jesus, Jesus surely is wholly, totally, completely, 100% devoted to you and to me. In fact, he gave his very life just for you and for me. Jesus demonstrates his love for everyone by giving the last full measure of devotion and not only taking risk in his life, but sacrificing his life indeed on the cross. In Jesus, in the acts of Jesus, certainly upon the cross, we find courage, we find bravery, we find love, we find the one who is worthy of all our deepest devotion. So today, the message title is correct. For the last bit to be mentioned, 
that we must be wholly, totally, completely devoted to Jesus. He is worth the risk. Father, Lord, today we take this opportunity to look at a text, Lord, written many years ago, and we see now how it makes sense to us in our lives. I pray, Lord, that all of us would indeed leave here today, if not already, completely, totally, wholly devoted to you. For no other reason, Lord, we should be devoted to you because you took our place on that cross. Let us today, Lord, reflect upon that. Be certainly gracious, but at the same time, simultaneously be willing to risk anything of our lives which would show devotion to you. Lord, thank you for this text. Thank you for the example the illustration it provides. And thank you for speaking to us here this morning. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.